When I think about some of the places that I have been privileged to visit, I'm humbled and grateful to God for the many people who have helped along the way to make those adventures possible. I've been to the majestic Rocky Mountains of Colorado. My wife has taken me up to the Sugarloaf Mountain of Brazil to get a bird's eye view over the beautiful city of Rio de Janeiro and the white sand beaches. I visited Ruby Falls in the mountains of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've done ministry in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, home of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. But of all the mountains I've seen and climbed, none compares to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, Israel. Oh, it's not even close to the tallest mountain in the world. It's not the most beautiful mountain in the world, but it holds a unique, unique place in history. You see, it was on the Mount of Olives that Jesus walked. And it was over the Mount of Olives that Jesus rode the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. On the western slope of the Mount of Olives in a little town called Bethany, Jesus wept for Lazarus, one of his best friends who died there. It was here in, he wept in sorrow with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, as they grieved the death of their beloved brother. But on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, Jesus rode a donkey surrounded by throngs of people excitedly shouting and singing praise to God for him. But here too, ironically, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem as it came in view from the Mount of Olives. Jesus wept over the sins of people because he knew that in just five days' time, the cheers of praise from the people would turn into the jeers for his crucifixion. It's Palm Sunday. And I want you to know, is it a day, I want to know, is it a day of triumph or a day of tragedy? That's the question before us this Palm Sunday. Most Bibles I know headline the Palm Sunday passage in the Gospels as Jesus' triumphal entry. If so triumphant, why do we find Jesus crying in Luke's account of Palm Sunday? You say, maybe they were tears of joy. Unfortunately, they were not. Speaking of tears, can we talk about tears for a minute? When was the last time you cried? And what was the reason? There's a general sense in our postmodern culture today that we should not cry, at least not in public. Fergie sings the song, Big Girls Don't Cry. In his movie, A League of Their Own, Tom Hanks told us that there's no crying in baseball. And yet, some of us men even have heard our fathers, grandfathers, or uncles tell us, real men don't cry. But here, in the scriptures, at least three places in the Bible, we, we are told our Lord Jesus, a man's man, cried openly in public. 
He not only cried big old crocodile tears, he also sobbed loudly when he cried. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews wrote about our Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He said this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Whoever told us not to cry was mistaken. As a matter of fact, ophthalmologists who study this subject of crying tell us that crying tears are good for us. And that's why we often feel better when we have cried. There is a cathartic or cleansing release that comes with our tears. Crying releases emotional tension and stress from our bodies. Maybe some of you here need permission to cry. Just, just go ahead and let it out. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I've often cried from this pulpit while preaching. And I've cried from my seat while singing songs of praise and worship to our God. In Psalm 56 verse 8, the psalmist tells us that God sees our tears and collects them in his tear bottle. He records every tear that we shed in his record book. I brought this little tear bottle from Jerusalem. In the ancient world, people would collect their tears in little glass or ceramic bottles like this. And they would collect their tears to remember the reason why they were crying. And so I brought this to show you. And the scripture even says in Psalm 56, 8, that God sees our tears and he collects them in his tear bottle. He records every tear that we shed in his record book. The first record of our Lord Jesus weeping on the Mount of Olives is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, whether it's an electronic version or a paper version, would you open it to John, chapter 11, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen and you should see these scriptures. John 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to com comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know you will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Skip down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, get this. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in verse 35, the Bible says, simply, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, and yet it is so filled with meaning for those seeking to know God. The prophet Isaiah reminds us in the 53rd chapter of his book that bears his name that the Messiah is indeed a man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. No other man on earth fulfills this tender messianic prophetic description than our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice verse 33 in our text. It was when Jesus saw Mary weeping that he became deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. And then he suddenly began to weep. The word that John used to describe Jesus weeping is the Greek word which describes crying silently with the lump in your throat, with silent tears streaming down your face. That is the meaning of this word translated Jesus wept in John 11. We've all had moments like that, haven't we? Where you get a lump in your throat and the tears just pop out of the corners of your eye and begin to roll down your face. See, Jesus was angry at the sin which caused the death of his friend. And his love was displayed in spontaneous weeping. Some in the crowd took note of Jesus' love. Look at it in verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man? Also open or also do this man or kept him from dying? It's very interesting. There will always be those who misunderstand or misinterpret your tears or your, your motives or your ability. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the but this time, there's a bad odor. I think the King James Version said, he stinketh. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. Thank you that you have heard me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. Can you believe that? If you were there, you probably would have fainted, right? Lazarus would come out walking with the grave clothes still on, and you'd be on the floor. They'd be fanning you. Wake up. Lord, do another one. They all fell out. <laughs> Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. <laughs> Simply amazing. 
You need to know that we have a God who sees our moments of pain and grief. And he is with us. He understands. He suffers and he weeps with us. This was our Lord Jesus just a few days before Palm Sunday in Bethany. Weeping with those who weep. Interesting side note, the town name Bethany literally means house of sorrow. That's what Bethany means, house of sorrow. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethany means house of sorrow. Bethphage, which you'll see in the next passage, means house of figs. But now it's Palm Sunday and we turn to another gospel passage, Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, Luke 19, beginning verse 28. Verse 29, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and enter, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written, untie it and bring it here. Verse 35, and they brought they brought it to Jesus, that is the colt and the donkey, and Jesus threw their, they brought it to Jesus, and then they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But then again, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, and saw the city. As he approached Jerusalem and, once again, saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Verse 37 tells us the whole crowd of disciples joyfully shouted praise to God and proclaimed Jesus as king who came in the name of the Lord. They did this because they had seen Jesus work miracles, including Lazarus' resurrection just a few days before Palm Sunday there in Bethany. And so they speculated that he was the prophesied king sent for their salvation. And he was. Except they were thinking He would save them from the hated Roman occupation. He was thinking 
of the more deceitful and grievous occupation of sin, which ravaged their hearts and minds. They were thinking of the earthly kingdom that he, he was thinking of a heavenly one. Verse 39, some of the religious leaders known as Pharisees wanted Jesus to reject the claims of his kingship and kingdom by silencing the crowds. But the crowds were closer. They were closer to the truth than these religious leaders. At least the crowds knew that he must be a king who will establish his kingdom someday soon. They just got the sphere of his kingdom and kingship wrong. Their timing and location was off. But now notice, it's Palm Sunday. The crowds are going wild with enthusiasm and praise. It's like a parade in downtown Chicago, and Jesus is in the center of attention in the lead parade float, and he should be smiling and waving at everybody around him like they do when the Grand Marshal comes down the parade route. Right? But look at verse 41. When Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, as he crested the Mount of Olives on the back of that donkey, he saw what everyone else saw, the beautiful, crowded, old, walled city of Jerusalem. He saw what we could see today when we visit Jerusalem, as we saw a few weeks ago, those who were with me and my wife, when we went up that chilly morning on the Mount of Olives and looked over the Kidron Valley, over the walled city of Jerusalem. We all would see what Jesus saw. The beautiful, crowded, old walled city of Jerusalem. But he saw beyond the hustle and bustle of the city. He saw beyond the faces of the people. He saw their hearts heavy, laden with sin. He knew how the cheering crowds would turn to jeering crowds, seeking his crucifixion when they didn't get what they wanted just five days later. He already saw that. And so what did he do with that intimate knowledge of sinful people? He wept. Jesus wept in brokenness over their sin, their, their sin of blindedness and rejection of him and the true salvation that he came to offer. Some of the guys that we disciple, they get excited when we tell them we're going to come to court with them and stand with them. They get excited when we come and visit them in prison. And they are excited that the pastor, the preachers are praying for their release and from their prison or their ankle monitors where they're on home lockdown. But we have to tell them that we get more excited about the prison release of the heart. Because God doesn't always work it so they get a reduced sentence or a drop charge. Sometimes God makes a way for them to go to prison where he wants them. Because it is behind the steel bars that they get released from the bars of their sins. 
And we've, I could show you many letters that I have in my drawer, my files, of guys from prison who wrote me that testimony. Pastor, I'm more free sitting in this four-by-six cell than I've ever been in my life. I am free on the inside of my heart. Jesus wept in brokenness over their sin, the, their sin of blindness and rejection of him and the true salvation that he came to offer. And the word Luke used here for Jesus weeping is a different word than John used in the Greek. This is a loud, uncontrollable, sobbing kind of weeping. Church family, it's Palm Sunday, and Jesus is still weeping. He weeps with us in our sorrow, but he also weeps over us in our sin. And there's a difference. Don't miss it. So what about you? When was the last time you wept with someone in sorrow? When was the last time you wept over the city of Chicago in its sin? I believe that these are the questions Palm Sunday asks us to consider. Until Christ comes again, there will always be moments for tears of sorrow. And there will always be opportunities to weep over the sins of our fellow citizens. The last mention of tears in the Bible in Revelation, is Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, where the apostle John writes that God will what? Wipe away every tear from our eyes. Yes, he will. It's no wonder the psalmist wrote in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In that great getting up morning, Christ will wipe away every tear. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death and suffering. And that is the hope of Palm Sunday. That's the hope of Palm Sunday. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's stand as we pray.